Good morning, and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz for NFL Week 11. It is I, Jackson Roberts, it is he, Kale Clinton, and it is time to discuss the most pressing of football topics, the end of the Zach Wilson era, Kale. Just broke, ripping up our outline literally five minutes ago. Tim Boyle will be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets this week. Before we continue with the rest of our show, instant reactions. I have watched more Zach Wilson football than uh, 98% of the population and more Zach Wilson football than 100% of the population ever deserves to watch. Uh, Yeah, it wasn't good. Uh, Never really learned uh, how to play ball. Uh, Tried to do some hero stuff. Uh, Free Garrett Wilson. Uh, It's deeply disappointing that... uh, Garrett Wilson career has like three touchdowns. It's I I, I can pull it up direct, but it's pr- pretty disgusting. Like three sounds. I don't know three or four. I think it was maybe three last year and one in the opening game this year. But boy, hard to watch. Yeah, it's also hard to watch when he gets wide open on a corner route and the line is so bad that they just can't even get a throw off. There but was there Wilson was a big problem. Uh. Sorry, he has he has six in his career. He somehow got four last year, but uh, they like that. What you were saying, uh, PFF put out a uh, video on Twitter like this Garrett Wilson route, and it's him like hitting this like aw- like awesome double move, and then like a hezzy to break out of it to break off into uh, sort of like a post route, uh, like or like a post finish. And the video clip finishes of him just like jumping up and like throwing his fists down and him just like losing his mind about the fact that he just hit like one of the better routes run of his career and didn't matter. Didn't even get targeted. Uh, Yeah. uh, Freak Air Wilson. I know the, I know the offensive line situations. Also Tim Boyle is your best option. Like Joe Flacco just got, Joe Flacco just got signed. Uh, you've got Trevor Simeon on the practice squad. Someone's got to be better than – like Trevor Simeon's just got to be better than any option out there. Tim Boyle basically got the job because he's friends with Aaron Rodgers. Like, it, like he was part of the buddy system that came over when Rodgers got traded. Uh, it's it's just – it's bad practice. Yeah. Like what, what's Tim Boyle going to do? I, I really just think it was – like get Zach Wilson out. That's the only thing that they were attempting to achieve here. And the only thing that's going to achieve is to make these games less sad because now we, there's somebody in there who we know is not the guy that's going to be terrible, but the whole, like every week was just a reminder of how badly they messed up the Zach Wilson pick, how sad it was that they were like trying to hold on to any hope. Uh, Robert Sala's answers from week to week in press conferences, starting with Aaron Rodgers' injury, like how much faith he professed to have in Zach Wilson and just saying progressively less and less every week until last night he basically just said, we'll review everything on film, no decisions being made. Uh, And they asked him what he thought of Zach's performance, and he just said everyone was bad. Uh, It got really tough to 
to just follow. It was it was uh, it was like a bad episode of The Office where you're just cringing the entire time. That was uh, watching Zach Wilson football in 2023. Yeah, the defense the defense is weird. I want to do a year in quotes of just the continued degradation of Robert Sala's defenses of Zach Wilson because. Like it was getting nonsensical at some point. Like it, like you got to think like, was it coming from ownership? Was it coming from like Joe Douglas, where he wants to kind of salvage that pick? I don't know. It's it it really shows just how I did a whole write up of uh, of the twenty twenty one quarterback class uh, last week for FTN, uh, and it, it's so funny how big of an anomaly. Zach Wilson was like just just in terms of BYU had never played an easier schedule. They had all these COVID returns uh, playing like th- their average age of their offensive line was like, 25. He had all this time to throw. Like, you look back and, and because of the canceled combine and how it just became a series of uh, team pro days and Zach Wilson, one of the earliest ones. And he was able to make some cross-body 60-yard passes off his back foot, uh, just effortless. Like, social media and COVID, like, single-handedly changed the trajectory of the Jets. Uh, He wasn't even on national radars before, like, uh, before the 2020 season. Uh, It's it's an all-time blunder. And it has spoiled what has really been, like, one of the better – defenses in the NFL, what I would have considered before Garrett Wilson, like a league average, like the Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, like probably was like an 18th ranked receiver core that was made one of the worst in the league by Zach Wilson, like adding Garrett Wilson in that mix. Like Mike LaFleur deserved another chance. Like all like you go on and on. Like this is just such a waste of a very good GM and Joe Douglas. And like a waste of a really good coaching effort in Robert Sala. Like the last three years have just been for nothing. There's been no development, no improvement. The guy couldn't hit a check down for 18 months. Like it's it's exhausting that this has been the procedure for the Jets. And Jets quarterback is just a permanently cursed position. They haven't had a lead. They haven't had a, a positive passing DVOA since Ryan Fitzpatrick that one season. And before that, it was uh, Chad Pennington in 2004. Yeah. And even that Fitzpatrick season is spoiled by the fact that they lost a terrible game to the Buffalo Bills in week 17 when they should have made the playoffs, which leads to Jets haven't been to the playoffs since the second Mark Sanchez year. uh, And that is now the longest playoff drought in football. And it very much appears that it will continue. But while we talk about the Jets season basically being over in terms of a playoff chase. We have to talk about a lot of other teams that are still in the playoff chase, Kale, because, well, why don't we start honestly with the worst news of the week, which happened Thursday night leading into Friday morning, and everyone's aware of it by now. We don't need to rehash everything that it means for Joe Burrow and for the Bengals that Joe Burrow is out for the season. But having seen all the football that played out with Joe Burrow out, knowing that the Bengals were in a much worse position to contend, some teams kind of stepped up yesterday in the AFC picture. Some teams took a big old hit, and some teams won games with Dorian Thompson Robinson at quarterback, and I don't really know what to make of any of it. So 
lay it out for me. Who do you think were the biggest winners and losers in the AFC yesterday? Cleveland and Pittsburgh. I know Pittsburgh lost, and I know that it's a lost cause at quarterback there, and we'll get into that. But Cleveland and Pittsburgh are both now fully hanging around and will most likely make the playoffs in some regard. Because uh, not only did Joe Burrow go down, and their season's kind of sunk, uh, even with Browning, Jake Browning playing, you know, Sir, like very serviceable in that backup role against a very good Baltimore Ravens defense. It's it doesn't really matter because the one in three hole is such a deep dig that you can't really get out of that even with call it the thirty sixth, thirty fifth, like best, like one of the better backup situations in the league, or at least like one of the better performing backups uh, week to week. Uh, they're squarely in it, or, or uh, they like they're out of it, and the because of it, the Steelers and Browns are squarely in it. Uh, Denver Broncos, Jackson, big winner, big big winner. Uh, let Russ cook, trending on Twitter once again. Uh, <laughs> let Ross no, throw eighteen thousand dump offs to Samaj P Ryan, my guy, my guy P Ryan. Uh, let Will Lutz cook. Let that leg cook. Roasted leg a ham there. Uh, crushing the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah, I, I I went to bed early in that game. I have fully watched like highlights after. Uh, did not get to see a ton of that one. But I, like, I guess also win for Buffalo. Like the defense or the offense. The I offense looked Buffalo. the exact same. Uh, like outside of a positive scoring regression, uh, them actually being able to kind of find the end zone uh, on drives where they've supposed to have tried to find the end zone. Uh, nothing really Only changed. After a bunch of field goals too. Like it was really, if if anyone but Zach Wilson or I guess Tim Boyle is playing quarterback in the first half for the Jets yesterday, that's probably a tie game going into half. They just kept death by field goal and getting the ball right back on three plays and see you later. It was, I was not impressed in the first half by Buffalo one bit. I'm excited about that uh, continued use of uh, like, I feel like that's the most action that we've seen out of the Buffalo reserves. And it's not just the like, Oh, it's the jets. We can throw whoever at him. Clear Shakir. Like I know he had the 81 yard break off, but like, He's getting involved more. Ty Johnson's getting involved more. Dalton Kincaid has become a fixture at this point. Deontay Hardy even getting a little bit of work. It wasn't like the most productive, but hey, you're trying to generate explosives here. It's something. Uh, yeah, I like just seeing this this like group of kind of wide receiver threes, RB threes, like this laundry list of random weapons that they tried to assemble to replicate the production of like wide receiver two, all these little flyers they took for highly explosive guys to play outside Stefan Diggs. Uh, it worked last night. It, it was a, it was a pretty good effort. Yeah. When you only have one guy, you can either try and force Gabe Davis to be a second guy, which seemed to be the plan for a long time, or you can just say, we're going to have, nine secondary targets and i i have to admit like i really liked it and honestly 
I know Diggs leads in targets with eight, but they really spread it around more than even even like with Diggs in the fold, they spread it out super evenly to everyone, not just him. And that's I think, you know, 32 points is a is a direct byproduct of the Jets offense just being completely incompetent. And I don't think the offense necessarily like pound for pound had a better output in this game than we've seen from them all year. But it was nice to just see like, okay, we'll try different things. We'll, you know, see what else we have on the roster because clearly Gabe Davis is not the second best receiver on the team or even close to like good enough to be like a bona fide wide receiver too in this league. And I didn't think round game has been like, I know it was, it was really good last week except for the fumbles. And that's part of why it was kind of lunacy that uh, Ken Dorsey lost his job after that game. But it's been, man, the yards per carry are really down yesterday, but like, Cook and Murray have both been pretty solid in ground and pound lately. And you know, Allen's going to be a factor with his legs. So I could see this becoming like more of a run first offense or at least like 50 50 moving forward. And I I'm okay with it either way. I just think like, if you look at their offensive game flawed as it is, you compare that to a Pittsburgh and Cleveland, what we saw from them yesterday. And they're still the team you're much more afraid of in the playoffs. So I, I see a future for the Bills still this year. They're only a half game out, and I know the schedule is tough, but they're still just a better, more competent team than those other two, especially on offense. Yeah, it's – I don't know. We'll see. This defense for Buffalo is just still really banged up. If it's, Got more banged up too. Exactly. If it's getting – like, it's nice to see the emergence of Razul Douglas. Um, you know, he – was kind of the single-handed biggest, like, asset in this game. But, like, you know, Rasul Douglas comes up, Taylor Rapp comes down. Like, it's just – it's – this team can't stay healthy. And I think it's going to it's gonna start to kill them late. But, you know, other big winner because uh, we just got to pass it off. And, you know, we'll see how they do tonight. But Kansas City, like – like their their kryptonite officially done. Baltimore probably the most complete team uh, in the AFC. Uh, they lose a bunch of guys. Uh, Buffalo gets even more banged up. Uh, like Cleveland, the team that who would probably give you the biggest trouble in a late round, starting Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, like my like Miami's probably their biggest threat right now. And, you know, we'll see how that goes. Miami can't really beat great teams right now. And, like, Kansas City already has the win over them uh, from this season. It's just a weird – it's a weird year in the AFC. And the Chiefs are going to get away with it. (laughs) Chiefs are going to get away with having their worst receiving core ever and, like, maybe their worst offensive line situation a little bit. Uh, the interior can't uh, run block. The tackles aren't super. Or sorry, the uh, the interior can't pass block. The tackles can't really run block. Like it's kind of a disaster in like most of their aspects. But we've got Patrick Mahomes, we've got Andy Reid, and they have Travis Kelsey, and everything else doesn't really matter. Well, that's what I'm kind of excited to see tonight because even if the AFC picture ends up totally breaking their way, you know, would they be? favored or at least like you'd think it was a toss-up in a potential Super Bowl rematch with Philly 
or any of the other kind of high-powered teams we see in the NFC, specifically San Francisco, but maybe a little Detroit and Dallas in there as well. But I, I feel as though this could be like a 2017 Pat situation where they just cakewalk their way to the Super Bowl because the rest of the conference is bad and then just still not really be a Super Bowl team. Or they could absolutely still be a Super Bowl team because of the infrastructure in place, Reed Kelsey Mahomes. So that's that's one of the biggest reasons I'm excited to watch tonight, in addition to it being like the biggest football pop culture moment of the last decade, century, etc. I don't even know. Hey, Taylor Swift's not there. So, like, she's been real. She's not going. Mm, that's what she thinks. They moved it. They moved a show. They canceled one of her weekend shows in Rio and moved it to Monday. She literally can't go. Yeah, but Jason Kelsey's going to win Sexiest Man Alive. So that's very important to this program specifically. Uh, and I don't know. I'm sure, Donna's going to be there. She's got soup commercials now. She's as famous she as Taylor. Soup commercials now. Uh, the uh, way too early Monday Night Football prediction uh, this is the Rishi Rice game. Uh, they've, oh, they've had yeah they've had the bye week <laughs> what's uh, funny is i have i have a fantasy football matchup that comes down to can aj brown hold off rashi rice and he only needs to not be outscored by 20 but if you're saying it's the rashi rice game maybe i should still be worried uh i would be i think it's a game i, I think i think a week like Andy reed always cooks after the bye uh this is a very weak eagle secondary uh, I just think this is uh, got a lot of faith in Rushy Rice to just get like integrated post by and uh, the Chiefs and their self scouting just having a better understanding of like all right this is where we use this guy he's the only reliable receiver we've had time to ball at. I like that. I uh, while we're on the subject of way too early Monday night previews, way too early in the show, might I add. Uh, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Kevin Byard, we he got traded to the Eagles like right after we recorded an episode a few weeks ago, and we haven't really come back to it yet. But like this is the Travis Kelsey stopper. Like they brought him in specifically for assignments like this one. So if if Philly is to win this game, even if Rashi Rice goes crazy, Travis Kelsey stopping is going to be a huge part of the formula to walk out with a dub. And they have the guy theoretically. Now we just have to see if it works in practice. So he isn't if you're, fun if you're fact, for a one-on-one matchup. That's the one I'd be, I'd be locked into tonight. Fun fact: He hasn't touched a football this season. Kevin Byer, like zero passes defense. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he forgot what it feels like. Poor guy. Yeah, I, and I was doing a lot of pre-research because I have to make up, like to do the newsletter and like check results. I technically have to make a play in DraftKings, so I was doing research to build a roster, uh, and I ended up just building it all Chiefs plus Eagles running backs, like just taking max, like maxing out weaknesses. Uh, but the uh, the Travis Kelsey thing, like the Eagles, they don't allow a ton of uh, pass attempts and a ton of yards but they are one of the worst teams defending tight ends. So I think they're just going to end up doubling him, but you can't double Travis Kelsey every play. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. There's not really any other offense in the league that like commands the double on the tight end. Like even Mark Andrews, I feel like if you do that, oh, yeah. you're just allowing for complete and utter havoc and, you know, the fast pass catchers and Lamar doing extra stuff in the, in the ground game. So 
that's pretty much a uniquely Chiefs problem. And yeah, if they end up doing that, Rasheed Rice might have 40 tonight, Kale. I might be totally screwed. Uh yeah, the Chiefs are the Chiefs are out front in the AFC. Beneath them, I mean, like really at the bottom of that wild card picture specifically, I think it comes down to at this point, Pittsburgh and Buffalo with maybe some, you know, long shot Denver potential thrown in there. And that's where I want to talk about Kenny Pickett yesterday. Cause we got into the past chart last week. I think this week we just get into the fallout from, I mean, how bad is it that you can like honestly get outclassed by Dorian Thompson Robinson, who don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think he's the worst quarterback prospect we've seen recently, but there's a reason he wasn't, you know, anywhere near a high round pick. And this is only his second start and he looked better. And Kenny Pickett's like, we've had enough time to watch Kenny Pickett and his stats at this point through 20 career starts, 25 are essentially the same as Mason Rudolph's. So I think it's over. I think the Steelers are in the quarterback market this coming off season, and that can change some things for other teams too. But I mean, when you go from the stability of 15 years with Roethlisberger to we missed on this first round pick and the rest of the roster is good enough to contend in the AFC playoff picture, it's got to be a tough spot to wake up in as a Steelers fan because man, like, this is wide open, and I think – I just think it's over for Pickett. I think there's no coming back from a game like yesterday. Uh, I had mentioned that uh, story I wrote for FTN, uh, and the final conclusion I came to was uh, we just had – like, offense is down in part because we've seen this mass transition of quarterbacks, and more important than just seeing a lot of, like, good quarterbacks retire – we haven't had a lot of good quarterbacks kind of like fill in. Like we've kind of holistically forgotten how to develop quarterbacks a little bit. Uh, and if you just look at the last five, six drafts, uh, 18, we got two starters out of it. Allen and Lamar 19, uh, technically two starters, uh, but Daniel Jones looks like one of the more regrettable contracts in football. And Kyler's balling out, so good for Kyler. Uh, but it's one and a half, really. 20 is where you screw things up because it broke everyone's brain that five quarterbacks got drafted in the first two rounds, uh, and all five of them look varying degrees of good. Herbert, Burrow, Tua, Hertz, and Jordan Love last week. Uh, or this week looked really solid and looks like you can keep him around for another year. And we'll never remember him as being part of that QB class because oh, of the like instant debate of Tua Burrow, uh, Herbert, and really like only until year two of Tua. And then even Hertz is hard to remember. Like everyone just remembers the top of that QB draft class, but Jordan Love, he could be the starter for 15 years in Green Bay and nobody's going to remember like, hey, they took him right ahead of Hertz. No, exactly. And I, I think that's, you know, a product of the situation. And I don't think you want to transition too heavily from like pocket passer, rocket arm, Aaron Rodgers to mobile dual threat Jalen Hurts. Hey, it would have been smart. And you want to maybe give another look uh, in a backup quarterback, which he would have been. Uh, but like, I think that's a little too tough of a leap. 21. Uh, we're really only going to get one real starter out of that class. I could see, you know, it being similar to like the 2014 Garoppolo car class where like new systems and new, uh, 
opportunities uh, allow for like some career revivals of Mac Jones and uh, like maybe Zach Wilson, if he sits for a year, maybe Justin Fields. Yeah. I was going to say Fields. Say is more Justin Fields. I, I'm wishful thinking on Zach Wilson. Cause man, it's 60, it's 60 yard ball cross body. Looks pretty good. Uh, Jamarcus Russell had those too. I, I get it's it over. He did it's it from so his knees. Uh, but uh, I, I do all that build up to say uh, 2022 might be uh, the worst quarterback class since like EJ Manuels. And we knew it coming in. That was the crazy part. We knew it was bad, but like, I guess, I guess it's really bad when the, the best quarterback in the class, his like main, main knock was just zero arm. Like zero arm strength, hands too small, can't put zip on the ball. Uh, signature play from college was a fake slide that then got out, out, got banned. Out yeah. uh, apparently, uh, the uh, like this is where uh, like local anecdotal stuff matters. Apparently, the uh, pit to Pittsburgh pipeline was very meaningful. Uh, and it was like a guy next door kind of thing. Like you saw him there. He was good enough. Was still kind of objectively one of the better quarterbacks in the class. You know, who's to say like we can't make him work for a little bit, especially when we've got all the good receiving talent that we pick up every year. Uh, I Yeah, it, it hasn't worked at all. Uh, it doesn't help that Matt Canada is like one of the worst offensive coordinators in the league. Uh I don't think I don't think Kenny quarterback uh, Kenny quarterback Kenny Pickett is one of the worst quarterbacks in football. I don't think Matt Canada is like objectively one of the worst bottom three offensive coordinators in the league. But when you put them together, it creates maybe one of the worst offensive situations, probably the worst offensive situation in football right now, uh, especially like just relative to what it should be. Uh, Deontay Johnson looks like, like some of the quotes out of him looked like he was going to request a trade mid game. Uh, George Pickens has had some complaints early on. Uh, there's just I some Tuesday morning read the Najee Harris stuff from yesterday. Cause Najee Harris has been bad this year, but like his quotes were alarming yesterday, but also like Jalen Warren's been better. I was about to get into that. Like Mike Tomlin's made some head scratching decisions on his own where it's just like, uh, we're doing the best like best thing for our team. Uh, like Jalen Warren had an explosive game, and Najee still somehow outtouched him. Uh, like it's just a really bad offense overall, and like with the sheer amount of talent in there, I don't think I think Najee's a bad first round pick by process, but I don't think he's a bad running back. Me neither. Uh, same with Pat Fryermuth in the yeah. second round. Same with. Uh, like the Pickens pick in the second round. Like, I don't think any of these guys are bad receivers or bad players. I just think, like, holistically with this quarterback, with this offensive coordinator, you're just squandering talent. Yeah. No, that's that's where it gets into, like, the spirits are getting broken at this point. Because it was like a <laughs> – it's funny how yesterday it all went from being, like, a cute thing to an ugly thing that they were 6-3 and three and have been outgained in all nine of their games. So now 6-4, and four, now outgained in all ten of their games, and now it's turned into just, like, utter frustration. Uh, and the Najee Harris quotes from yesterday, which I will now read, 
were the biggest hallmark of that. He said, there's just a lot of stuff that goes around that you guys don't see. I guess I'm trying to say I'm just at a point where I'm tired of this shit, a.k.a. the Steelers just not being able to move the ball one bit. He said, continued to say, you could look at the record and say, okay, we're still good right now. Or we could look at the record and be like, if we keep playing this type of football, how long is that shit going to last? I look at it like, how long is that shit going to last? You could look at it like it's a good record, but it's the NFL winning how we did. It's not going to get us nowhere. Uh, so, and then he refused to answer a question on whether he felt like everyone had a team first attitude. And at that point, like the PR lady basically said, okay, we got to go time to go back to Pittsburgh. So <laughs> I don't think Najee Harris is a loose cannon at all. I think he, something broke in him yesterday. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the other guys, specifically like the Deontay's, the Pickens of the world are feeling the exact same way like this playing for this team has gotten to be too much of a burden for guys that know they should be on winning football teams in 2023. Can you link that? Uh, can you link that in the chat to me? Cause that's going in year in quotes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, you can find the video as well. It's uh it's a serious, like yikes situation, <laughs> but that is linked. And now we continue away from the Steelers to the other conference. Sorry to leave that on a uh, a very negative Steelers note, but I don't think there's any other note to strike today. I'm interested to talk about the Seahawks, but we also have a head scratcher about the Seahawks. Uh, and the Seahawks lose yesterday, and the Vikings also lose. So, like, is there anyone we can depend on to be a wild card in the NFC right now? This is Jackson in the exact opposite way that I have described. Uh, the AFC title picture where it's like it's a lot of teams on the downswing, a lot of teams not named the Houston Texans with a lot of problems. Uh slop trough is full, brother. Uh the the back half of this of this NFC wild card went from I guess it's just the Vikings to uh we are anyone's in it. Anyone is in it right now. Uh six down to twelve are now within two games of each other. Uh, and those teams comprise of the Seattle Seahawks, Minnesota Vikings, Green Bay Packers, Los Angeles Rams, Atlanta Falcons, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Washington Commanders. And you can throw the Saints in there because even though they're the four seed, they're at five and five. Uh, this is this is like the Packers win over the Chargers. Uh, the Packers offensively, we're able to figure some stuff out. Uh, and defensively, they looked presentable. Uh, Herbert balled out, but uh, had, the defense just had a couple lucky bounces go their way, but like really held up Austin Eckler really well. Uh, you know, we're able to stifle Keenan Allen in some key moments. Like this Packers team, if, if some things break their way, they could, you know, string a couple together. Let's see how that shakes out. Uh, Minnesota and Seattle are both still in the driver's seat in two very different ways uh, because Minnesota is Minnesota and like Josh Dobbs can still play. They kind of dueled with a pretty decent uh, and hot Denver defense and their schedule the rest of the way isn't the worst. You can't say that for Seattle. Uh, They're in Seattle, was, Seattle was supposed to try and like fight through this Rams game and then, you know, go through a gauntlet and then pull a couple games together to win 
an NFC wild card. They now still have uh, ahead of them uh, both San Francisco 49ers games and at Cowboys host Eagles. That's they in go- a row, by the way. That's yeah. their next four games. Yeah, it is. It is not luck great. winning one of those. Losing this one was a problem. I think they could. I think they, they could, could win but good luck winning one because that's yeah. that's what they need to do to stay a, a playoff contender is win one of those four games. And it's even worse now that Geno Smith and Kenneth Walker are both hurt, and the Seahawks are currently uncertain, according to Brady Henderson of ESPN, whether either will play Thursday against San Francisco. And if yeah. you're just punting that entire game, uh, we've got a problem. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I think I'm almost in the opposite camp. I think you almost might as well punt that game because I feel like there's no way you're beating the Niners on a short turnaround. Although I guess of then the you two go, Niners games, that's the one in Seattle, so maybe that's the one you have to think you have a chance to win. I was it's just not saying. a good. It's not a good spot to be in in that case because you're not going to have those two guys anywhere near 100 percent by Thursday, and especially against a Niners team that's just looked like world beaters again since the bye. I don't know how you stand a chance. Although they did lose Hufango, which is just another depressing injuries yeah. injury it, peak we, a depressing injury week. We got a crazy bad week of injuries. Like Tyreek Hill and Devin Achan uh both messed some stuff up. Uh mm-hmm. like they're they're both not going to be season ending and they're both probably short term. Tyreek even came back in that game. Uh apparently Achan was trying to like uh be diplomatic and try and like talk his way back into the game, wasn't happening because they need him for Friday against a vaunted Jets defense uh, with no quarterback. Uh, but Stroud uh, went into the blue tent for a second there. That was even scary. Lost Stroud, lost Aaron Jones. Like this is, it, there's a, just a ton of people going down there. We also have two active investigations now in the NFL with the, uh, the Bengals and the Joe Burrow injury reporting controversy. And then like just trickling out today, maybe the Broncos are the next bounty gate team. So really a dark week. Excuse me. I, yeah. knew, the, I knew the Burrow one with like the compression sleeve and like Nate Tice, uh, former NFL quarterback kind of talked that one down a little bit as did uh, uh, like a couple other sources that I was listening to, but uh, Bounty Gate, walk me through that one. I know we're this is going to be two hours anyway, but walk me through that one. That's <laughs> insane. <laughs> I saw it. I gotta, I gotta find the exact. I don't want to misspeak here. Uh, sorry to put you on the spot, but just to speak further about the NFC playoff situation while you bring that up, uh, I just like NFC South still remains two easiest schedules in football, Falcons and Saints. There's still a slim chance that both those teams could sneak in. There's also still a chance that the Rams could, like Stafford fixes his arm out. Like winning this one really put that team back on track. I know they're still lacking some weapons, but, you know, they're still expecting Kyron Williams to return. Their defense, you know, holding Seattle to 16 points is pretty solid, especially when you have all those weapons at receiver. I know Geno came out for a bit. Uh, and he was back and forth, but uh, like Rams are squarely in this, and the schedule isn't the worst thing in the world. There's there's a lot of like good promise in here, and Tampa Bay keeps just hanging around. I'm gonna leave Washington out of this because they still have their bye uh, coming up, and they're already at four wins. Like they're it's we're playing the loss column game, so they're like they're in it. 
but they're not really in it. I think it's going to be tough to make it at, like, unless they win out, it's going to be tough to make it, and they have a pretty difficult schedule. But, like, Rams-Packers are certainly on the upswing. The NFC South, it's anyone's game except for Cal- uh, except for Carolina's. Uh, yeah, like, the Vikings and Seahawks got to play yesterday. Vikings and Seahawks just got to play tip-top shape. Like, they, like Seattle especially. Seattle's the odd man out right now. They could they could slide and like their performance, even though I think they are by far the best team in this mix, they are the team that is deciding how the rest of this wild card picture shakes out. So there is not a bounty gate investigation on the Broncos, but I think TMB Bozo of the year has been clinched because yet again. Kareem Jackson is under investigation from the NFL for a dirty hit from last night. It was on Josh Dobbs and I'm watching it right now. And it is like as clear as clear as day that he launched headfirst into Josh Dobbs and probably will get, I mean, he just came back from a two game suspension. So we're talking like four minimum potentially season over for Kareem Jackson. Uh, And I think that I got some, uh, some some Twitter egg got in my head uh, with a quote tweet about it being a bounty investigation, and I think that's just because Sean Payton's the head coach. So yeah. apologies for misspeaking on like Broncos bounty gate, but Kareem Jackson is going to be suspended for this hit on Josh Dobbs, and it is very much head hunting. So not good, man. Stop stop well, doing that. What are you? This 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 is Vontez perfect two at this point. He's not doing great, uh, Jackson. Speaking of coaches, there's a lot of there are there's a lot of ones doing pretty well right now. Uh, it's that time of the year where you start to get down to brass tacks about coach of the year situation, and I don't know if you've put much thought into it. I don't know if this is just the Dan Campbell Award for you, and you're just gonna lock that in. But currently where things stand right now, walk me through kind of the landscape of how you see the Coach of the Year awards. Yeah, so you brought this up, and I actually did have like a long moment of pause because the way this award has shaken out the past few years, it's just like the coach who led the biggest turnaround and usually the first-year head coach who led the biggest turnaround. It's your Dables. It's your... Didn't uh, Anthony Lynn win one or Nagy won one? Like Nagy won one. Nagy won the same year as Anthony Lynn. Okay, so Lynn couldn't win. But it's become like the who's the head coach that leads a team to double-digit wins in their first year. And when you hear that this year, you immediately think D'Amico Ryans. That's like the only first-year head coach who's going to probably get to double-digit wins. So that was like in my head. And then I remember that Dan Campbell is leading an 8-2 and two Detroit Lions team, and they have the best record at this point in the season since 1962. So with all deference to D'Amico Ryans, like not only do I think it's Dan Campbell's award to lose, but like I want to see him win it because I think we've fallen into a weird pattern with Coach Thier where it's not actually going to the coach who like maybe had the most impressive season. Uh, and I think like Dan Campbell's enough of a happy medium where like, yes, it's a turnaround, but also he's been there a few years. This is fully his culture. Yeah, they don't have the greatest schedule, but it's not like they're just going to make their make the playoffs because they have a terrible schedule and the conference is falling apart. Like they are one of the best teams 
with one of the best cultures. And therefore, not only do I think it's like his to lose, but I would be disappointed if the voters didn't side with Campbell, assuming the Lions continue on the pace they're at. So I did a little digging uh, into this award uh, using just DVOA as our basis because it's the best year-to-year metric uh, while it exists like to paint a picture within a season. I think year-to-year it helps to showcase some legit over and under performances. Uh, And for the most part, it's every team saw marked improvement and mainly it is market improvement in the one place that you expect the team to improve. Like, like if you hire, like if you hire Brian Dable, the giants in 2021 were 32nd in offensive DVOA under Dable in 22, they jumped to 16th. The defense performs like slightly better. And all of a sudden you've got a coach of the year. But, it's not as clear cut as you'd think. Like there are some more holistic year to year sort of performances. Uh, just going back. Uh, I just had to pull this up. Rabel, like Rabel jumping in for the Titans. He wasn't a first year coach uh, when he came in, uh, but the, complete overhaul of the Tennessee Titans defense that coincided with the offense falling off a cliff. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, uh, Kevin Stefanski was able to uh, reinvent an offense defense, like still kind of middling to okay. Nagy was another day ball. Uh, Sean McVay, another complete reinvention offensively. Jason Garrett is a weird exception uh, where uh, Jason Garrett and Ron Rivera both did this, where uh, while Jason Garrett is offensive, Ron Rivera is defensive, their coach of the year uh, candidacy was fueled by the opposite end. Like that Cowboys defense went nuts, and it was both years that the Panthers – Panthers did have a good defense in the 15, but in 13 and 15, it was all offensive driven. Uh, So there are some weird candidacies and Harbaugh is another outlier where they were a good team and went to the best team in football, uh, mainly fueled uh, exclusively by offensive performance. Like they had a good team, but they were number one in DVOA. And that was, of course, the Lamar Jackson MVP season. Uh, and if you want to call that like a coaching decision, you can. Uh, but it's more like one-sided year-to-year changes in performances. And if you want to throw some interesting wrinkles in it, if you want to go that like, oh, this is the opposite route where one side sort of maintains good production and the opposite side leaps, like Mike McDaniel absolutely needs to be considered. Uh, this Miami defense has looked pretty electric, uh, especially in recent weeks. Uh, Jalen Ramsey looks every bit as advertised. Uh, the defensive DVOA numbers, uh, I don't think, have been totally updated yet. Uh, but Miami will stand with some market improvement 
uh, last week to this week. Uh, and with just the way this offense is performing, if they can still kind of hold this out and dethrone the Bills in the AFC East and pick up like a top two seed, let's say, I think they're in the conversation. Uh, the other possible case, like you got to go down to storyline too, what you were kind of talking about. And it's not always best like first-year coach. That would probably be D'Amico Ryan's. Uh, offensive performance has been pretty spectacular, obviously. Uh, they've gotten a slight boost out of their defense compared to last year. The other massive, uh, if you're going just narrative-driven award, uh, Kevin O'Connell has to be uh, in that conversation as well uh, for just doing this without Kirk Cousins, without Josh Dobbs, uh, and with a brand-new defense. It's not the biggest – you don't have to be like a top five to ten team to win coach of the year. Like the Giants weren't five to ten. Uh, but that's why that that's kind of my gripe with the award is that it's become like the Giants sneak into the playoffs last year because like we have to have seven playoff teams now, and that wins stable coach of the year. Like, and I even kind of agreed with it at the moment, which is why in hindsight, it's like, oh, Kevin Stefanski won 14 games, or Kevin Stefanski, Nick Sirianni won 14 games last year. Shanahan almost got a one seed with five different quarterbacks. Like sometimes it should be like the coaches of the best teams rather than the coaches that snake a playoff bid, which is why I feel like Campbell's a perfect happy medium because like, I want the coach of the year to have like one of the best records, not like the coach that got to 10 wins because he did a really good job and his team wasn't expected to be that good. But like how much of that was schedule driven, how much of that was like, still we didn't expect the team to do anything in the playoffs. I, I want like a contender to win. Coach I of the wanted, year I've landed. I wanted to save Campbell because like, it's still Campbell. Like, like even, even if you come up with narrative awards, even if you look at like, past pedigree and some of the other ways that other coaches have gotten in. It's just still Dan Campbell. Like Giants or the Giants. The Lions are top four team in the league right now by defensive DBO. They're fourth in the league by total defense. They're top five in offense. They're top ten in defense. Even though yesterday you kind of saw it struggle a bit. And you kind of saw Justin Fields cook and it was kind of just the Bears weren't just losing culture football. Uh, the Lions probably have an inexplicable loss, and that probably hurts Dan Campbell's uh, case. But, like, it's a full culture thing. He's doing this without a ton of household names. He's uh, one of the most aggressive coaches in football in his uh, fourth down calling and two-point conversion. Uh, more so fourth down than two-point. Uh, but he's hyper-aggressive in coaching situations, so he's putting the most – risk into his own hands and getting away with it it's exceeding in that regard excuse me i've got to stop drinking seltzer during these episodes uh but it is just like what he's been able to do in detroit has been excellent and i think we're going to see like i get it like it's not the hardest schedule in the books but like outside of that Ravens game, there isn't like a like a huge blemish on their schedule. Seahawks are able to play super tough in a pretty big shootout. Like they went toe to toe with the Chargers team when that offense was cooking. Uh, 
they've played a lot of teams really tough and they beat the Chiefs week one. Like the good teams they've been able to handle, like outside of Baltimore, Baltimore is one of the most complete teams in football prior to the Mark Andrews injury. Uh, they've been able to handle all their battles. And I think it's like voting truly is going to come down to it. Like if this is all assuming they handle their shit the next few weeks, uh, and just take care of business, Packers, Saints, Bears, Broncos, Vikings, if they handle their stuff the next five weeks and just win the games they're supposed to win, which I'd say is at least four of these, probably all five, that Cowboys game in Jerry World, December 30th, I don't know when voting deadlines are, but that has to lock it in. Like That has to be the game that like makes or breaks Dan Campbell's coach of the year uh, resume. If they can pull that off and legitimately overcome the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who like one of the best quarterbacks in football right now, uh, by far one of the best defenses, uh, I guess like most explosive defenses. Uh, Deron Bland is just insane. Uh, but they're still like a top three defense by DVOA. Uh, I got to just stop saying top three when they are three. Uh, but third best defense by DVOA. Like if they're able to do all this, they're able to shut down CD Lamb or get to Dak Prescott a ton. They could win that game as locked up. But I am willing to at least hear out a bunch of cases because, in the opposite way of like MVP is now an all quarterback award, and I don't think there's really a quarterback right now deserving of MVP. Uh, Coach of the Year has become a very trivialized award, as you've kind of pointed out. But in the opposite way, I think there are so many coaches that have legitimate cases and are very deserving of this award. Tamika Ryan, Mike McDaniel, Kevin O'Connell, uh, like on the longer end of things, like if LaFleur puts together a streak down the road, like I think he deserves to be in the conversation hosting one of the youngest teams in football right now. I don't I, – I don't care for that smirk. He absolutely does. Dude, how many coaches are we going to list? I mean, we haven't even seen. Oh, no, it's like 10, Jackson. John John Harbaugh deserves to be in that conversation. Like, Kyle Shanahan deserves to be in that conversation. Like, Nick Sirianni deserves to be in that conversation. Like, yeah. A lot, just a lot of these coaches have put up, to, like, really, really special years. And I think a lot of coaches are in common. Trump Payton, if he's able to pull this out, like – He's a fringe candidate in there. I'm just saying there's a lot of coaches that are doing awesome stuff. Like this is one of the most like parody centric, holistic leagues that we've like NFL landscapes that we've seen in a long time. And I think coaches like coaching in general has played a more important role in the just general hierarchy of the NFL than it really has in the last what? Like five years, ten years. Like there's a reason it's just new coach do good hand trophy. Like this has just been a year where like a lot of veteran coaches have made the difference between okay teams and good teams and good teams and great teams. Yeah, I think a lot of that coincides with some of the conversation we were we were having in weeks past about like teams aren't just winning because they have the best quarterback anymore. Like if you are like putting together kind of a, a mid season playoff push in spite of, you know, mediocre to bad quarterback play, that is where I think like the extreme parody, the, 
you know, potential 15 coach of the year candidates that we've just discussed, like all sort of like come 10. in. Boy, I think it was, I think we might've listed half the coaches. We might have to go back and count. Cause I think we might've said literally half the coaches in the league. Just, I I, was Zach Taylor in if the I Bengals literally get back eight or not. I'd not say Zach Taylor. You know, I know, but like if, if we need to get to half, we can just say like, if the Bengals make the playoffs. And so I'm not trying to name out. half. I'm trying to make good cases. Like, yeah. But there's a difference between like, like coaching has been a major reason why like the chargers are just completely out of it right now. Like Brand, like we'll talk about Brandon Staley, but like analyst him. It's it's poor it's poor tackling. It's allowing explosives in a scheme that's specifically designed to prevent explosives. Like it's just a really bad coaching performance, and that's the reason they're just dropping games that they absolutely should want. Should have beaten the Lions. Should have beaten the Packers. Like there's so many games on this on the Chargers schedule that are a result of just bad coaching. Yeah, they're done. They're. They're obviously done. They have three wins. They're, they're in a terrible place. They have four, but they're still in a terrible right. spot. Uh, I think, I mean, it's, to close the loop, like, it's it's still got to be Campbell for me if they win 13 games, which I think, like, they don't even need that Cowboys win to do. But if he gets down to 12 and 5, maybe they are the three seed instead of the two, then I think we can chat about, like, all these other very deserving coaches. But – I still think it's Campbell just because he is a happy medium between like leading a turnaround, historically struggling franchise to boot, and like they're actually one of the best teams in the league. So I'm all in on that. Is that game balls? Is it is it season? It's game balls. It's nice. It's game balls. I I, I did like it's not game balls yet. Uh, oh yeah. The last the last thing I want to say is like <laughs> if you're talking market improvement, uh the leap is from you go from 29th to 7 to 4th or uh 29th to 7th to 5th in offensive DVOA so it's not quite market improvement being able to flip that defense year over year is a massive deal like yeah. last year last year the defense was bad uh and can't really have that can't really have or, or like it was 27th and now you're 10th like that in terms of opposite side ball improvement you're still seeing improvement on offense yeah it's dan campbell now game balls sorry i just had to get that last point in. brandon Ayuk is winning an offensive game ball this week why because he had the longest play resulting in a touchdown that is from scrimmage of any player in the nfl this year 76 yards therefore i have to give him a game ball i think of all the like not absolute top tier weapons of all the like second tier options, his stock has risen the most this year. I think he is the bona fide wide receiver one on the 49ers, probably the second best player right now on that offense behind Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk is going to get paid as a free agent this off season. So for all those reasons, and because he just, is really fast and fun to watch and does cool dances when he scores. He's got to be the offensive game ball. Yeah, man, he's been special. He's been really good. It is. It's kind of effed up because if you had just gone into the season, like, okay, Brandon, Ayuk's going to have 800 yards and four touchdowns. Then you would have still thought like, this is the best skill group in the league because McCaffrey, Debo, Kittle, whatever else you want to say about him. But now that Ayuk is like, genuinely one of the 10 best receivers in the league. Now it's just completely unfair. 
but I think that's also not to do the coaching thing. Uh, it's a testament to kind of 49ers development. Like they, they just have this historic track record of, all right, we took a really good guy. Uh, we're going to like ease him into a system. We're going to create some stuff just for him. Uh, and like kind of get some seldom use out of him. Like Brandon Ayuk was not an asset period uh, in his first year with the team. And he kind of worked his way up into it. Uh, and just that level of development and just that easing in uh, has afforded him the opportunity to just absolutely shine. Uh, he is a he is a special route runner. Uh, he's physical at the point of catch. Like this was admittedly a flyover game for me yesterday. Uh, just did not watch any Niners. I was like, you can handle the Bucks. Like, do your job. You're fine. Uh, but just on the year, he has been top 10 to 15 receiver probably closer to top 10 than top 15 but like he is he has been awesome man that's all there is to say about him he's he's good and he's gonna get paid my game ball two laws back still not it's still kind of like the press taylor offense they're still not doing 100 of the stuff that i want to see out of a trevor lawrence offense and not to keep referencing the same piece i wrote but like this sort of up and down, like going from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson to Press Taylor. Uh, the offense hasn't really been put together. Uh, and, and Trevor Lawrence has had one year of like an awesome explosive offense. But at least he's starting to like just really take matters into his own hands. Uh, if we're doing passing charts, it's it's not the best. But you just look down like that left hash. Like, just down the left sideline, it is – it's a work of art. Like, he was just dicing it up. Calvin Ridley's getting back involved. Uh, Lawrence took in two touchdowns on his own. Ended up being one of the better Trevor Lawrence games of the season in I, – I made a reference at one point that uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to the uh, Justin Herbert school of quarterback play where you know he's good. It's just the numbers just have not shown it this year. He's been really down. Uh, there's a point where uh, uh, Jaguars receivers, this is a Ben Solak stat. I think he had pulled it from True Media, but I'm not sure. Uh, had the uh, lowest average depth of route run. Uh, so, like, outside of the Bengals on the year. And that was weighed down by the fact that Burrow couldn't physically move. Uh, for most of the season, like couldn't pass downfield, so they had to create a short passing offense. Uh, but they, like, they just weren't striking downfield, and that kind of changed today. Uh, had one of no the highest adjusted yards per attempt of his uh, of this season, uh, the best quarterback rating, capped off the day two sixty two yards. 75% completion rating, four total touchdowns, not too shabby T-Law. And, and about, like, the time you kind of need it to happen. Uh, in a, Like, it, it was a thorough domination of the Tennessee Titans, but, like, this Jaguars team kind of needed a bit of a get-right game uh, because they'd been winning a ton of games. Sure, none of them looked all that confident. And this was a team that, like, 
They've got Houston coming up. They've still got games against all the good teams in the AFC North. They got an easier back half of the schedule, but like they need good playoff seating. This is a team that is going to heavily benefit off of home field advantage, off of like being comfortable, off of just like controlling their own narrative. It, it, it really just comes down to that. And in a game where they kind of needed it most, Trevor balled out. So game ball. Trevor Lawrence, uh, this is the worst like stat you're going to hear today, like the least useful stat, but I still thought it was kind of fun. Trevor Lawrence didn't have a 20 fantasy point game this year, which is just crazy. And Trevor Lawrence was considered a legitimate fantasy, fantasy asset at quarterback because we think of him as one of the better quarterbacks in the league, on the rise, young, multifaceted, etc., he had nine touchdowns, six interceptions coming in, and he did not have a 20 fantasy point game, which is kind of like the separator between decent and good fantasy game for quarterbacks. So even though that's like, you know, that doesn't actually give you football insights compared to his EPA per play, his DVOA, et cetera, just insane that he didn't have it. And yesterday, for, for the record, 32 fantasy points, much better. Defense, do you want to, uh, do you want to go or do you want me to go? I mean – I feel like mine is probably the more obvious one, so I guess I'll just get it out of the way. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, kind of astonished by how just as impressive as we've ever seen him he's been since coming back from injury. Like, has not missed a beat and still took it to another level yesterday. Like, not just two interceptions, two of the more impressive athletic interceptions you'll ever see, including the game clincher on what was kind of a pseudo-Hail Mary with 30 seconds left into the end zone where I don't think most receivers make that catch. And he wasn't even the one who was in coverage on the play. He just swoops over, jumps over the top of whatever Raiders guy was. I think it was Myers actually. They've been thrown to this other guy, number 11 all game, whose name I can't even remember, but Jacoby Myers was the one being targeted there. And Jalen Ramsey just dives over top of him, dives over the corner in coverage and makes the play on it. Uh, and that's the game. So uh, the other stat I saw, PFF tweeted this out. Jalen Ramsey has allowed a 0.0 passer rating when being targeted this year, which just isn't a real thing. <laughs> he's he's just thrown a perfect game for an entire NFL season so far. So the Dolphins are a much different team. He's the reason I'm wearing this hat today, which is like it's also the only throwback NFL hat I brought home uh, for Thanksgiving to wear on the podcast. But in honor of Jalen Ramsey, he's going to be the reason I'm wearing it. Number 11 is Trey Tucker, rookie from Cincinnati. Got way too uh, many targets yesterday. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. You have Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers on the team. Stop throwing to Trey Tucker. I mean, they kind of locked up Devontae Adams, which is like kind of the credit. In the second of, half, yes. That was, Dolphins it was almost a repeat of last week's game where Devontae had a very good first half. And then for whatever reason, the defense just hadn't figured out how to slow him down at all in the first half. But in the second half, it was it was pretty good clamps, which, you know, just bracket the guy. He's the only thing the Raiders offense has going for him. But if you can get Trey Tucker a bunch of targets, you're doing a good job as a defense. I'll go ahead and say it that way. Yeah. Devontae Adams finished 7 for 13, 82 and a touchdown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think most of those misses came in the second half. I believe he was 6 for 13 last week. So there's there's definitely a trend forming, and I don't believe it's Devontae Adams' fault. My defensive game ball, Ogbo Okoronkwo, could have picked a lot of people this week. 
Uh, Razul Douglas kind of having his uh, not like debut game, but like coming out game in Buffalo. Two picks and a fumble recovery in a pretty sloppy Jets game. Could have given it to Tavon, who ate up Sam Howell and was wrecking in the commander's backfield. Could have given it to Deron Bland, who has more touchdowns this season than any player on the Browns, Colts, Falcons, Jets, Rams, Saints, or Steelers offenses. Uh, but given it, it to ugly. <laughs> I also could have given it to Miles Garrett because Miles Garrett just keeps balling out and he's, I hope, going to win a defensive player of the year. But he wins funniest video of the week before we go on. Did you see? Yeah, you pick up the Steelers helmet. That that was funny. That, that was funny. Uh, but Ogbo comes in, sack, tackle for loss, handful of QB hits. But biggest like single play of the game in a in a game that like really could have been uh kind of field flipping or like just really decided by like any big play. Uh Browns just have a bad punt. Like they're they're backed up third and twenty two from their own thirteen. Uh Bajorquez. Bajorquez, I don't know how to pronounce their puncher's name. And Jackson, if you laugh at me, look up their puncher's name. I think it's, it's Bajorquez, but yeah, it's, Bajorquez, it's not, I, I'm smiling because sure. I know that that is one of the tougher names in the NFL. It's a tough one. Uh, I should have looked up pronunciation, but uh, barely gets it out of uh, his own end of the field, stops at pit 48. Uh, next part of the drive, Kenny Pickett. Uh, like they're starting to get into uh, Brown's territory. It's 10 10 at this point. Ogbo just blows up the backfield. Stops Najee for minus five yards. Basically takes him all the way out of field goal uh, range. Would have been a long one, but it, it outright removed them from field goal range. And by that point, uh, pretty much ices the game. Uh, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh exchange a couple punts. Uh Agba might have had a pressure in that last drive. He was kind of everywhere in this game. Had a bunch of tackles as well. Uh, but they go three and out uh, next time Pittsburgh gets the ball. And then Cleveland puts together a nice eight-play field goal drive to ice the game. That's it. That's he does it. it. That's sweet. He um, just on the subject of how suffocating not just Ogbo but the Brown's rush defense was in general. And maybe this is like some Najee Harris sympathy thrown in. Uh, Harris had 35 yards on 12 carries. As you mentioned, still out touching Jalen Warren. Uh, still like desperately trying to get him going. He can only average 2.9 yards per carry yesterday. And yet next gen stats says he had 12 rush yards over expected. So really it should have been even worse because the Browns are just that good. And the Steelers offense is that predictable. PFF was going through the rush yards over expected uh, metric, and it was kind of it was kind of fluky, like not fluky, but it was weird. Uh, it's because, definitely one of the hardest things to judge. Like trying to make that into a concrete stat is, I don't want to say junk science, but it feels like there's a lot of guessing involved. Well, that that 74 yard uh, play that Jalen Warren had. Uh, this was this was Sam Monson breaking it down, uh, but 
it had an expected rush yards of it on it of six because while he had absolutely like complete open field in front of him, there was technically uh, an unblocked Browns linebacker in the second level uh, who was supposed to have gotten picked up by a tight end apparently, uh, but just ran completely free and like should have been able to stop him. But because of his bad pursuit angle, uh, Warren just had no one in front of him. And it was kind of like in the picture, kind of not. Uh, but if you're just doing it like purely off situation proximity, that technically is six expected yards. And it turned out it's 74. Like it wasn't really, you know, six expected yards, but it's close. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, this Browns defense is just insanely deep. Uh, I, I wrote about it early in season. They haven't kept up the uh, like ex- historic pace uh, that they were supposed to be on or that they had been on. Uh, but between the Miles Garrett Defensive Player of the Year, uh, just you know, between Delpit and JOK and uh, Denzel Ward back there, Greg Newsom, like. They've just got dudes, man. Like they, they've just got it's such a such a great defense, and it's it's so crazy. It's just gonna go to waste. It's so crazy that they're just that they're just paying Deshaun Watson all that money to do to just let this defense go to waste. It's tough. Hopefully, they can sneak a playoff win out of it, but. No shot. Don't know at this point. It's rough. I, I, I'm high on Dorian Thompson Robinson to kind of figure it out. Uh they're not gonna win a playoff game, dude. It's the AFC. <laughs> it is tough, but you never know with the right matchup. Uh regardless, we move to special teams game balls where I have just uh it's kind of mean at this point now that Zach Wilson's been benched. It was supposed to be like kind of fun, anecdotal. Uh, leaning on a moment from our uh, yeah, fantasy new house group chat where uh, James noted Jets fan said in the group chat, uh, Thomas Morstead is the best thing this Jets offense has going for it. And then later in the game, he had a fake punt completion for a first down uh, and everyone just threw the message back in the chat. It's like, Hey, this guy was cooking. He knew something. Uh, now it's kind of sad, but my mind was already made up. So Thomas Morstead, who went one for one with an 18 yard pass uh, quarterback or a passer rating of 118.8. While the team between Wilson Boyle and Morstead combined had a 45 passer rating yesterday uh, for all those reasons enumerated uh, Thomas Morstead for being the one shining light on a dark, dark, dark jets game yesterday. will earn a special teams game ball. Yeah, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw anything on it because uh, it's sad. Uh, the fact that your punter is able to complete downfield passes that year. Second overall pick cannot. Uh, it's frustrating. Uh, yeah. Uh, my Tough. my special teams game ball, like, yeah, it's it's officially Will Letts, five for five. Field goals long of 52. My unofficial, unofficial special teams game ball uh, is not in the NFL. Texas A&M against Abilene mm. Christian. Put together a little lineup of uh, of walk-ons. They call it the twelfth man kickoff. Uh, it's it's the funniest thing you ever seen. It's the funniest thing you ever did done seen. It's it's a bunch of little five eleven to six one 
uh, walk-on football players, just having their moment in the sun. Uh, I think that was uh, technically senior day for them. Uh, I don't know. I guess. I think so. Uh, but uh, they do their little kickoff. It, it's a pretty big blowout. It's 31-10 at this point in the game, I think. Uh, that 12th man kickoff, that walk-on kickoff goes down. Uh, and it's just so full of so full of vigor. It's just so ready to go that they blow up the Abilene Christian kick returner, knock the ball loose. Doesn't matter that the runner was ruled down and Texas A&M was up by too much to bother challenging uh, because he wasn't he he was in fact still up by replay and uh, it would have been a fumble. Uh, but just to see them just sh- just shoot out on kickoff, uh, get that force, and then all collectively just mean mug in the end zone together uh, for the cameras in the crowd, uh, that was sick. That was cool as hell. But, yeah, Will Lutz, I guess. Five for five. Cool. I know that, like, accurate record keeping is important, but – it's it's kind of like the Armando Galarraga perfect game. Like, can we just retroactively rule that a fumble? Can we give the one kid a forced fumble on his official college stats and the other kid a fumble recovery? Because, like, come on, that's awesome. And they did force and recover a fumble. So do the right thing, stat keepers. Come on. Do it. Do it. Ah, uh, uniform scale. Uh- I would say it was a... I didn't have like an A plus uniform game yesterday, but I had like seven A minuses. So it was tough fine across the board. From. It was fine across the board. Nothing super jumped out at me. Uh, I'm just gonna go uh, Houston, Arizona, because it just looked clean as hell. I, I'm just gonna keep giving game balls to Arizona because they're so neutral when they play in all whites, and it works with literally every team. Uh, I think I've literally I've given it to San Francisco for or like to Arizona, San Francisco for the similar thing of uh, just right on red works. And these Houston Texans uniforms were really nice. Uh, I think with the red helmets too, uh, but it well, just this is where work. you bury the lead kale. That was the first time the Texans have ever worn red helmet and blue color rush. That was, that was a new uniform altogether. It was not like, it was not a visual thing for me at all that I picked up on. I just enjoyed that contrasted with the Cardinals uniforms and someone, I think it was Blake Allen Murphy retweeted it. Uh, Someone had posted like the Cardinals Kyler Murray before and the Kyler Murray Mm -hmm. after in the uniform. It was just for that acknowledgement alone. These are, these are game balls. He's a new man. And he's also going to help the new England Patriots get a top two draft pick. God damn right. Him and Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito is down for the cause. Uh, I don't think they. I don't think the Panthers can uh, be beat. I think they've uh, successfully. That's fine. Justin Fields looks great. Yeah, you only so. need one. You only need one. You need one team. One team to go down. You can't have two in front of you. You can only have one. Yeah. No, and I, I do believe that the Cardinals will drop thanks to the efforts of Kyler Murray. That was a very evenly matched game yesterday. The Cardinals. Very well, could have won. I thought they did it. Like there was a point until like the very end. It was very much the uh, Baltimore didn't register the loss game, uh, where I like for a good while until I watched highlights after. I was like, 
yeah, like the Cardinals really held their own. Like they could pull this off. And then I just turned off the game. I'm like, yeah, the Cardinals pulled that off. <laughs> a equals B, B equals C, therefore A equals C. I don't see any issues with that line of thinking. Uh, they did in fact lose, but good uniforms. I Sharp minds will recall that I did spend the entire hour on filling out the Houston Texans future uniform survey. Uh, and if I could have, you know, drawn up what I wanted to see from them, it would be more innovation like we saw yesterday. The red helmets have already been nice and innovative, but the one thing that you should have said about the Texas uniforms for the past 10 years is just dull, conformist, unremarkable, not terrible. There's nothing like inherently wrong with them, but they're just every other red and blue team in football at any level. And that was not every other red and blue team. That was, you know, something no, that was and I appreciated it. That was that was a big standout uniform game. Good I'm call. Glad, I'm glad they're a fun team with fun uniforms. For real. No, they would not be anywhere near as fun to follow if it was just the same, <laughs> you know, one white jersey, one blue jersey. Maybe you get the Reds once a year. Uh, that was of dark era, a dark uniform era for the Texans, and Stroud wouldn't be as fun. Uh, regardless, mine is going to go uh, to a game that I think coming into the season, if you had like circled this game on the schedule, you would have said like, oh, that's a very strong contender for uniform game of the week because we love both these teams' uniforms. It is Packers, Chargers. But I think where it differs and where I like actually have a stance to make on this game, I think I like the Packers all green kind of fake throwbacks with no logo on the helmet situation. That's kind of a win for me. I I would have guessed that I didn't like it because in general I'm not like a color rush person. And like why is there no logo on the helmets? I get it's a throwback, but not really. I, I like those uniforms. They're a nice change of pace. They're not better than the Packers' typical home uniforms, but they remind us how good we have it while at the same time being like, hey, we can do this too. There's there's use in like showing off a throwback every once in a while. So why not? Chargers Packers. I don't hate it. Um Chargers in the powder blues, always classic. I'm shocked I haven't given you uh, given them more love this year. I think I gave them enough love the last two I years. Stink, and therefore we don't ever want to talk about them. But we're about to in the next segment. Spoiler alert. Dude. All right. I think I guess we can just do it now. Yeah. I was going to go in inverse yeah. order for this segment. But uh, no, this, will be, this will be my head scratcher for the week. Uh, but I'm sure Kale has many things to add to it as well. Uh, the way I wrote this in my notes was uh, who are – the LA Chargers, who are their fans, and if those fans are out there, what are they going through right now? Fans that one woman, <laughs> fans that one woman who's also a Vikings fan. I was gonna say, like, her, the time of her life, part of the problem. <laughs> uh, so given all that, given what their history has been as the LA Chargers, where they're at right now, what state they're in as a franchise, how do we ever allow ourselves to get excited about the Chargers again? Uh, just so many things I could talk about right now. The way they lost yesterday, uh, the way they've gone about losing for the past eight, nine years, whatever. Uh, the Chargers are now two and five in one score games this year. So knowing that, I kind of went back and looked at the history of them in one score games, especially as the LA Chargers. And it's maybe not as bad of a win percentage as you would think. They're 30 and 37, which is right just above that 400 mark. But What's really upsetting about it is 
dude, they they play so many one score games. They've just never been a normal team whatsoever, and they tend to come out on the wrong side of them. And from year to year, the way they lose those one score games can be totally different. Some years it's late turnovers. Some years it's missed field goals. Oh look, now they have a good kicker. Now they're just going to collapse on defense. It's nothing ever goes right for this team, and it's gotten to the point now where we're starting to talk about like wasting Justin Herbert's long-term potential. We're like certain that Brandon Staley is going to get fired and I'll get into his quotes in a second. Herbert is now 29 and 30 in the regular season, which is just appalling. He's, he's not a 500 quarterback. He's certainly not a losing record quarterback. And to be there just speaks volumes about where they've been as a franchise. Oh, by the way, last year when they had a 10 and seven record and went to the playoffs, they blew a 24 point lead in their playoff game. And Joey Bosa like came apart as a human and had a bunch of 15 yard penalties. So they're just, I'm going to say a joke. The chargers are just a joke at this point and they need to absolutely blow everything up except for Justin Herbert, because nothing else about that franchise works right now. Yeah. Let's they're wasting one of the better Herbert seasons period. Uh, Like, just in terms of how he's played, uh, and he's doing this without Mike Williams. He's doing this with with an early bus candidate uh, for uh, for uh, just a first round receiver. Uh, it's not you know, it's not Nikhil or Nikhil Harry bad, but it's it's gonna be up there. But, it, it, you know, Herbert's seventh in EPA per play. He's still kind of balling out. Like, he's still hitting some deep balls. He's doing a lot with a little. The offensive, or the offensive line is still banged up. Eckler looks like a shell of himself. Like, he looks like Eckler's got too much wear on him. Uh, and he's kind of doing this all on his own. Uh, the cap next year, there's no way around it. It's bad. It's real bad. They kind of put all their eggs in this year. Uh, and it's not going to be good next year. Uh, defense is somehow going to get worse talent-wise next year. Uh, it's going to be real tough to fix. Uh, and Staley, press conference. Uh, if you want to do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is where it becomes like a really head-scratching thing. Uh, and this is like if, if you were to go to chat GPT and type like, Head coach who knows he's about to get fired talks about his defense. This would be like what Jack GPT would spit back out. I'm going to try to like capture Staley's contemptuous tone uh, while I read this. So Kale, just like know that I'm not being contemptuous towards you. Okay. Like this is just how this is how Brandon Staley sounded when he said it. So I'm just, I'm just trying to be like, you know, accurate to my subject here, but here it is. Like I told you from the beginning, I have full confidence in our way of playing. Full confidence in myself as the play caller and the way that we teach and the way that we scheme. Full confidence in that. We've got to bring this group together and do it consistently, okay? And that's where it's at. So you can stop asking that question, okay? I'm going to be calling the defenses, okay? So we're clear. So you don't have to ask that again. How many more weeks for Brandon Staley? Two? Three? Yeah, it's a a before end of season kind of loss. Uh, the issue, the issue with it is, is he's fine with the way the defense is playing. Uh, the bottom five in EPA per play. Uh, pulling up, D, pulling up DVOA. They're twenty seventh. I already had it down. 
Thank you. 27. They've, they've been 25th, 15th, and tw- or 25th, 16th, and 27th in the three years that defensive guru Brandon Staley has been their head coach. And the thing is, it's straight up like bad coaching. Like there's really no way around it. It's there's a lot of missed tackles going on. That is purely a coaching thing. Uh, ball pursuit, like how they're taking a trail to the ball carrier. That's a coaching thing. The the fact that this is a Fangio defense that is designed with two high shells in mind, covering the middle of the field and trying to eliminate explosive plays of 20 or more yards passing, 10 or more rushing. Uh, they have the second most in the league the last two years. Like this, like they have their own problem this year of of allowing a ton. I think they lead the league in explosive plays this year. But they're top two in the last two years. So, like this is this is a consistent problem for them. Uh, they're letting Jalen Warren dice them up. Or not Jalen Warren. Uh, J- uh, Jaden Reed dice them up. Uh, they're just getting like they're getting explosives at a Luke Musgrave. Like there's just too many. Like too many. This is a young. I, I get Matt Lafleur is a really good offensive mind, but this is such a young and inexperienced. Packers offense, and you are letting Dontavian Wicks, Romeo Dubs, Tucker Craft, AJ Dillon, uh, and Jaden Reed all pick up explosives on you. Not to mention the Christian Watson touchdown yesterday. Not to mention the Christian Watson touchdown yesterday. Finally. Cut him in fantasy two weeks ago. Not like complaining about that. I had needed no, other don't. things, but like, of course, kind of. Thing. That'll never happen again. Uh, like, I don't know. This is just a really bad, really old Chargers defense. And the fact that he is just not like, he, he can't admit he's wrong because it'll probably cost him his job sooner. And this is, this is the, you know, throes of a dying man, uh, who's about to lose his job. Uh, it's just tough. It's bad to see. They're bad terrible. De- bad defense. They're terrible, and that's where bad it comes for a long back time. Like, who's a Chargers fan at this point? Like what? Me. The NFL. The NFL's whole like marketing plan around moving two teams to LA and allowing one of them to be the Chargers. It reminds me, honestly, of what's going on with the the A's in baseball right now. Like who in LA was ever going to be a Chargers fan? And now that this is the product, it's just over for them. Their games are going to continue to be just massive sellout party tailgate situations for the opposing team that walks in. Every every team with even a semi-loyal fan base will travel, will have tons of transplants to live in LA, and will pack SoFi Stadium to root for the opposite team. I just I can't imagine why that was ever a part of the plan and why the NFL just let the Spanos family like coast in on the back of the coattails as the second LA team and share the stadium deal because they now firmly are like the weakest fan base in all of all of American major professional sports. Nobody is a Chargers fan in LA. San Diego fans hate them for just ditching and hopping in on this sweetheart stadium deal. Like they have nobody and they deserve it because they're also a terrible watch right now. I'm so pumped for Ben Johnson to fix this team. That'd be uh, fun. I'm in on that. All right, you got two head scratchers. One is a hindsight head scratcher. The other is kind of a double head scratcher. Uh, what do you want to start with? I think so. Let's do the on record one first. Let's do the double head scratcher that 
if we were to compile all these at the end of the year, would be a nominee for head scratch of the year. Not saying it is bad enough, but like it's definitely not bad enough. It's pretty bad fine. still. Uh, yeah, this is a uh, this is Seattle, LA. Uh, started off uh, on the Rams side of the ball. Rams just have it deep in the red zone, and broadcasters during this period were getting into a. Uh, well, if you're Pete, do you let him score so you could get as much time as possible to get the ball back? Uh, and the Rams were very much in a position to close this game out. But uh, after throwing it twice uh, in a first and goal situation inside of the 10, uh, burning all of Seattle's timeouts. So. Uh, you know, you're doing that, but you could have just run it out. Uh, and, and you also had to call a timeout yourself, uh, at one point, uh, to keep things moving. Uh, but you settle for a field goal with a minute 30 left, uh, fourth and goal from Seattle four. Ball comes back Seattle's way, minute 30 left, and this team is driving. They complete, like, you know. They're getting the ball moving. They get a ball to lock it. Uh, they get a ball to Charbonnet. They get a deep ball to DK for 21 yards that sets them up inside LA's 40. Now, this is where the broadcast mic, or not the broadcast mic, the helmet mic cuts out. And they have no access to play calls on the sidelines. Uh, the play call, play clock drops from 41 seconds down to seven seconds uh, with the mix of play calling. They just run a Charbonnet run up the gut for two yards. Then Gino has to stop the clock. The whole thing burns like, you know, 35 seconds. Clock stops at seven seconds left. Jason Myers, 55-yard field goal is no good because he hooks it wide right. Gino talked about it's the only time the, uh, the mics cut out or the headsets cut out. It was the like he just had to come up with something on the fly. I get it. How how's a spike sound then? If you don't have your your mic and you don't know what to call, how how about just go clock it and and run it again? I I get a heat of the moment thing. I don't even hate the run there. Like, but just watching an offense oh, kind do. of stall when you get. Watching an offense stall when you get that close to field goal range and just kind of quitting and settling for the field goal is bad. Like, you, like at least try. Like, I think you should try and take a little bit more, uh, more upon yourself to go down and try and make an attempt to score. But you gotta uh, try to get ten more range. yards there. I would say, like, to feel really comfortable, I think you need ten more yards. And they had, like you said, like they if they get up and say they clock it, they have. 28 seconds and no timeouts that's like that's three throws to the sideline potentially i mean you've got to pick up the first down in there at some point because it would have been second down after the spike but i just think the run was like actively the worst possible choice there it was almost it it essentially worked out to them taking a knee and then spiking it because they didn't gain anything and they settled for 55 which nobody nobody with a sane brain has ever settled for 55 and i can remember a couple other instances in the past couple years where teams have like settled for the 55 yard game winning field goal attempt there's the patriots in the tom brady revenge game against the bucks 2 years ago and there's 
the Broncos in the Russell Wilson ill-fated revenge game last year with Peyton Manning on the time of broadcast going time out, time out, time out, time out, yeah. time out. And it just never works. You cannot settle for a field goal that long because that's just as hard as it already is to make a kick of that length. Like the kicker's really going to sweat that out. It's like, hey, guys, you don't want to get maybe a little bit closer here. Like anything I can do to ease pressure on my kicker in a game winning situation, I'm going to do because that's got to be like levels of pressure that I've never encountered before. It's such a specifically brutal thing where you're standing around for 59 minutes and then all of a sudden the game fully is on your leg. So anything I can do to make it not the scariest moment of my guy's day I'm going to do, but Seahawks didn't even try. Seahawks didn't even, I think it's like a tough panic situation to get in. I, I get it. It, it. Well, like you've got to, I mean, in that case, you got to coach your guys better to be ready to panic because Gino made the sure, worst. It's like I could put that on Pete. I'm fine doing that and saying it was like an ill-prepared situation there, but I'm not like, I'm not fully throwing it on Gino to be like, Spike it and dial up three go balls. Like I, I think there's a, I think there's like a happy medium in there where you can figure out something. I mean, if you spike it, you can go over to the sideline and get the play call if your comms are out. That's my. I main agree. Point. Yeah. Uh, real hindsight head scratcher, not real because I guess that's a real one. Uh, <laughs> where's Where's this Giants offense been? Huh? Where's it been for three weeks or for for two thirds of the season? Uh, like this is this is what won Brian Dable coach of the year. Uh, like mesh concepts to create space, uh, running Saquon on wheel routes, uh, like just just doing everything to get your receivers into space. Uh, you know, running actual plays in the red zone to try and create advantageous situations for your quarterback. A uh, Tommy DeVito shouldn't be the one to have to like do this. It's pretty exhausting to see a Giants team wake up two-thirds of the way through the season. Granted, huge for me, uh, huge for my Caleb Williams future Patriot narrative, But because uh, I think Drake Maisie on one. Uh, but the Giants just overall, like, why did it take 11 weeks for you to figure this out? That's my thing. That's I, a like, good question. I, I, don't have, <laughs> I don't have more there. It's by far one of the best games they've had as an offense this year. It was good. I got flies coming at my mic right now. I don't even know where they're coming from, but this is a this is a, a hellish fire escape in here. Flies. Uh, regardless, I a I find it very funny that the Giants managed to win a game despite their quarterback being sacked nine times yesterday, all of which were before the fourth quarter. So, if anything, like credit to Tommy DeVito for not taking a sack in the fourth quarter after spending like a solid third of the game on his butt coming into that. Uh, and like to, to throw for, I think it was 189 yards in the first half in spite of all the sacks he was taking was like kind of legit poise, especially from a guy that not only was undrafted, but was like as far from an NFL prospect as, as you could possibly imagine when we saw him in college. And it's not like he went to Illinois and lit it up either. He was sort of just like the college senior who has been around a long time and knows playbooks and can just be like a solid option as, you know, a practice squad depth piece. And now all of a sudden, like he's the one being asked to, to commandeer a win and he's actually capable of it. Like, I'm not going to say it was game ball worthy what he did yesterday, but you could make that case and I'd be open to it. And yeah, like, where was it? Where, where was any of this innovation, you know, when they actually still had a season potentially to fight for, it's just become like, you know, now they're now they're just gonna try to be like the best six and eleven team ever 
or, or the worst six and eleven team ever. Like the team with six and six wins with the worst point differential, worst DVOA, etc. So I'm kind of here for that because <laughs> as bad as they are, you could argue they're worse than three and eight at this point, and they've still got some winnable games ahead as well. Yeah, it's I like they do, and I'm pumped about it personally. But like, I, it feels too little, too late, especially oh, when yeah. this was a this was an objectively hard schedule. But for so many of these games, like you were in it, thirteen ten loss to the Jets, fourteen nine loss to the Bills, uh, like even the twenty four three loss to the Seahawks. Like you could put more points up in that. Like you get like. 30 to 12 to the Niners. Like you like I get I get the these are games where you're just like you know very undermanned. But if, if you're drawing these up more often, like they could have figured it out here. They could have figured it out a lot more early, and they could have at least been in the conversation for like, you know, okay, we've got you know X, Y, and Z going for us. We have a decent like a, a usable offensive course, something to build on for next year. And now they're kind of just in like this no man's land of, you know, I guess we can get Olu from Penn state. Uh, if we're high enough in this draft, maybe we trade down. Like, like we really, you should have been able to do is, you know, find the, like lose enough. Like if you're in this position, you'd lose enough games to secure a top two pick, get in front of the Patriots, uh, and then just trade out because you're stuck with this Daniel Jones contract and throw a ton of assets on it and say, we'll figure out quarterback later. Uh, yeah. I know that's a tougher thing to do because Daniel Jones is Daniel Jones and he's you know, probably the 22nd, 25th best quarterback in the league right now. But like, you know, on a good day, he's 17th, 16th. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, Maybe make the playoffs 15, of that. 15 through 25 is kind of all the same at this point, as we've sort of discussed. And I mean, this is my top of the draft take right now. This is, I'm even kind of starting to talk myself into the Patriots doing this. There are lots stop. of mid. Stop. I'm not. I, stop. There are lots of mid tier quarterbacks out there. There's only one Marvin Harrison Jr. That's all I'm going to say. I, I'm. If it's if it's third overall, I will resign to that. If another team jumps in front of us, I'll resign to that. I know there's only one Marvin Harrison Jr. You know what else we could do? You know what else Patriots could do? Go get Mike Evans, put him with Pop Douglas. Like now you're cooking. Like now you're getting something going. Look how good Mike Evans is making Baker Mayfield. He is. He like, he would be the one where I would consider it like maybe as good. But I just look at all these like game-changing receivers around the league and they sort of coincide with like who are the best teams right now eagles chiefs like dolphins best offense etc could trade for Devonte adams too without giving up that, first that like, works for me but yeah i think you need a game-changing receiver so if if it's caleb williams and it's you know trade for one of those two guys then maybe yeah that's the better option but I wouldn't be at all upset if Marvin Harrison Jr. comes to the Patriots or if I were the Giants and thinking in their shoes, I wouldn't be at all upset if he comes to play with Daniel Jones because I think aside from quarterback, that's like the most important thing on building a contender's offense right now. You know what we've seen? You know what we've seen in Vegas with Devontae Adams and Aiden O'Connell and Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo? That's what you're going to do to Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson. You feel good about yourself? 
Sleep good at night? Sleep good at night wasting a generational talent like that? Do you want to recreate the Randy Moss Vikings? See, see I, think, I think we're talking about those guys. Like, they are not in that 15 to 25 range. They are not good enough to even be successful with a transcendent receiver. Oh, my God. That's so wrong. You're not you don't think you don't think Derek Carr is is twenty-five quarterback. There are twenty-five quarterbacks better than Derek Carr right now. Well, maybe not Derek Carr specifically, but the way maybe Garoppolo Powell, played I, this I'd year, yes. O'Connell, yes. And O'Connell, Derek Carr know. played with Josh McDaniels. Like he's he's the 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 thing that bucks this trend. Oh, if you you need a competent head coach who's thinking about coaching his current team and not reminiscing over the 2007 Patriots, then that formula works. All I'm saying is don't waste, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Waste. Don't waste Marvin Harrison's time. Don't waste his time either. He's going to go to a bad team with a bad quarterback. That's I disagree. That's happening no matter what you pull up tankathon. I'm going to like get in a fight with you about this. If Who's he going tank- to that you're excited about? If you're going to Tankathon right now, you just you just pull this up. Chicago, Arizona, New England, Chicago, New York, Tennessee, Washington, Atlanta, Green Bay, Tampa Bay. Marvin Harrison doesn't make it out of that top five. But I'm just I giving don't think you he a- makes it out of the top three, does he? Uh depends how high you value tackle. Apparently, uh, Olu is one of like the best tackles prospects that we've seen in like a generation the penn state guy you don't it's fine you haven't started it's okay uh i'm just saying like they they're i I get that maybe he's the best but i mean the giants tried to shore up tackle two years ago in the draft it's andrew thomas like it's, it's very different like dude they got andrew thomas and nate solder it's not like you're getting young trent williams like does that make a difference to you like Yes, but I think Marvin either, Harrison makes just as much, if not more, of a difference. It's either, it's it's we're doing the Joe Burrow meme again, like we're doing we're doing the and, they, and the Bengals picked again. my side of the argument, and they almost won a Super Bowl with it. Yeah, because they. Mm. All right, <laughs> we go back to the quarterback thing. You're either pairing him up with Justin Fields, like objectively good. You're either giving Kyler Murray, also objectively good. There's more often than not you're landing with Chicago. What? The Cardinals don't have the. Oh, yes, they do. Yeah, they do. You're thinking the Panthers. Cardinals and Texans. No, I was thinking they gave it to the Texans, but the Texans gave it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it's either. It's it's either going to, you know, you're reuniting an Ohio State duo, which we see how often the quarterback reuniting situation works, uh, as in it's worked like once and it was historic. (laughs) They went uh, to the same school. They didn't play together, to be fair. Uh right? I don't I don't believe they had a crossover season. This is uh, Fields' third year in the league. No, Fields F- but Fields does have, I looked it up, had a crazy the combined the combined uh Olave Garrett Wilson JSN wasn't bad, to be fair. And there's a fourth in there. Uh there's a fourth crazy one in there. Uh, I have the article pulled up. That's why I'm stalling for time. And it was, yeah, Olave, Garrett Wilson, JSN, and Jameson Williams. Because Jameson oh, yeah, Williams ran for Alabama. Uh, so no crossover there, but like still same offensive system, still like valuable connection. And I think he still is like lower on that depth chart because he had time there. I just don't think he was playing. 
but Kyle, like he'd cook with Kyler Murray, uh, and he just wouldn't cook in New England. And I think Dable makes up for the Daniel Jones thing in New York. Uh, so yeah, he's going to a he's he's going to a halfway decent quarterback no matter what. Or you get, or you give him Will Levis if if it falls that bad, <laughs> if if they just lose out. That's kind of all of what I'm talking about. Is I want him, I want him for a team that has like a reasonable quarterback talent, and maybe the Patriots could find one. Isn't New England? Is not right now. That's for sure. I'm not saying draft him and keep Mac Jones. That's 100% not what I'm saying. But cool, it's kind of like the inverse of your draft a quarterback and get a receiver on the trade market or free agency, whatever. I I almost think draft the receiver, get the quarterback on the free agency market, if especially if they're third. That's, That's mm-hmm. That works for me. We, we fundamentally disagree. Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football. I There isn't like a game like this that we – will not pot about until next week, if at all, that is maybe the game of the year. I can't remember that happening in our history so far. Uh, but I also like don't have too much more to say about it. There's It's it's the two best teams right now, or at, at the very least, it's the teams that have you know kind of risen above the fray in their conferences. It's the Super Bowl from last year. It's the two, the brothers that are the biggest pop culture phenomenon in the sport right now. And... In spite of all that, I feel like this game isn't really going to change my opinion on either team. I mean, I don't see a blowout here. And I think that whoever wins, whoever loses, like this could just as easily be the preview for another Super Bowl rematch. I'm going to be weird here and say this game is weird to me because it can only it can only negatively impact my opinion of the Eagles and can only positively impact my opinion of the Chiefs. Uh, because a a Chiefs win in this game, even with the recent struggles that the Eagles' defense have had, would mean that in some way their offense has figured it out. And if your prediction of Kevin Byard tight end stopper uh, is going to come to fruition, that would entail either the Chiefs figure it out in the run game, which is going to be tough because the Eagles have a very good run defense, or more likely... Uh, or more impressively, for that matter, uh, they figure it out with a receiver. Uh, and that would be the first legitimate receiver to kind of show out for the Chiefs in the entirety of the season. Like, it's either it's like MVS still hits like a bunch of home run balls for the first time in a while. Uh, Reshi Rice comes into form. Uh, like, they awaken Sky more out of his two-year stupor. Uh, like in some way, they have to like fundamentally, uh, you know, change the way they do things. Uh, but that would be a positive for them, uh, and it would also suggest that like this defense, in some capacity, is as legit as I've thought they've been. Uh, Eagles, on the other hand, uh, feels like it's going the opposite way, where we still haven't seen like an A plus game from them. Uh, and I do like unless they like Super Bowl out. I guess the Eagles can be like, "Wow, we finally have that A plus game. They are who we thought they were." Uh, but in in more more certain fashion, like I just I just feel like it could go the other way of like this defense raises a lot of problems. This 
offense is not one dimensional, but thin. Uh, like you're dropping off from AJ Brown, Devonte Smith to Olamide Zacchaeus. Like, like it's a pretty steep drop off in terms of depth there. Uh, yeah, like I, maybe it's hyperbolic so the uh, the Eagles can only disappoint me. Uh, but because they've kind of just played like under the radar close games for the majority of this season, uh, outside of like the like the Miami game still didn't look like 100%. Lost that freaking Jets team. Uh, like they, they've just still got room to grow to me. And that wouldn't be exceeding any expectations or rounding into form. It would just be like, oh, this is the team they've supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, for me, like, this is this is one of the few instances where I feel like a team can maybe slow down A.J. Brown a little bit with uh, Snead on the outside, like being able to hold his own at least in one-on-one. And so much of the Eagles offense has been built around just A.J. Brown in any and all situations that I wonder if tonight could be like the, hey, Devontae Smith, do you still have like, you know, a 10 for 150 in you because that would be like one of the things that could really elevate them in my eyes to like this is a plus eagles is if i still think like smith can do that because i felt like he could last year and so far this year it's just been like oh aj brown's so good he's you know by far the wide receiver one on this team like we just have to go to him all the time maybe tonight's the night where we're like okay they still have that smith card up their sleeve so that's that's what I'm interested in for the Eagles side of things. Kind of like the the other side of the ball, the Bayard matchup. For me, it's like, okay, Sneeds Sneeds covering Brown. What does Smith have? My thing is, I don't know. I guess like I guess McDuffie goes to the. I guess McDuffie covers Smith in the slot, but like Sneed is not matching AJ Brown. Like AJ Brown, they're they're the same size, and AJ Brown has thirty pounds on him. Like it's it's a tough most, battle, I, right? Like I mean, he's he's big for a corner. It's just AJ Brown's bigger than every corner. He's just one ninety. Yeah, I get that, but like, it's not like he's taking on any crazy like, you know, contested catch ball or like just physical type receivers. Like the matchups he gets are more like. Amon Ross and Brown, Jamin Williams. He's like Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle matchup. Like he's not getting he, he's not getting big body guys. Like he's not he's not getting a ton of like defined, real like you know wars with big body dudes. AJ Brown is just one of one. And I don't know how that defense sort of slows him down. That's fair. I mean. If you're if you're gonna say like he's just like the biggest matchup nightmare outside of Tyreek Hill going right now, which he very well might be, then maybe there's no way they slow him and he still has this huge dominant game. But if there's a chance that like I okay, 190 is not as big as AJ Brown, but most corners still aren't 190. I mean, that's it's a it's the fastest in most cases, smallest position in the league. And that's why like a big bodied receiver has such a big advantage. So I'm giving him like a slight chance of slowing up Brown. And in that case, I'd like to see Devontae Smith have a big game because I don't I mean, this is a guy that won the Heisman three years ago and we haven't really seen it, especially this year. Uh, You know, he's he's become like 
hmm, do I even want to put Devontae Smith in my fantasy lineups this week? Like that wasn't what I expected. Kind of same with Waddle, by the way. Like that that receiver class is like taking a little bit of a step back, which I don't love to see. But regardless, like Devontae Smith, show me what you still got. But the Waddle thing is just so much of that offense revolves around Tyreek Hill that it's tough to kind of share. And so and so much of last year. Same with No, I get it. But also the Dolphins kind of made a concerted effort to spread the ball out more because they had two receivers take up 52% of their uh, allotted targets last year. Like 52% of their target share was made up by, it's like 32% Tyreek Hill, 20% Jalen Waddell. And, and it was the biggest share by two receivers in a single offense for any team in the league. Those shares had to go somewhere. You have to be able to spread out the team somewhere. Uh, and you're not going to take it away from your biggest X factor. You're going to take it away from your two. Like that's how, you know, Cedric Wilson's getting more balls. Durham Smythe is getting more balls. Like that's, it's the, it's kind of the faults of the system, but uh, the Eagles are just too thin where it's, yeah, we're still doing it with Brown and Devonta. Yeah. Well, Goddard out as well. That impacts that, things think, in a big yeah. negative way. Because uh, that was kind of the thing with the Dolphins was they didn't have a, a real tight end target and still kind of don't like Smythe's not that guy. Uh, whereas the Eagles definitely did, and now they don't. So now, and now I really want to see Devontae Smith do it with you know, I don't know when Goddard's gonna be back, but that's that's a big loss for now for sure. Oh, Jackson, Jackson, cheap seats are cheap seats are stinky this week, Uh-oh. but we have but we're like way more varied. We've got we've got the usual we've got the usual suspects, but mm-hmm. uh, I think your turn you, to choose though. So it is my turn to choose. I'm gonna I'm gonna look and see which ones I want to give you. Uh, yeah, let's cut so, let's cut the floor at seventy and under. I'm specifically ruling out the one seventy one dollar <laughs> New England Giants game. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, I mean, I'll give you Rams at Cardinals at fifteen dollars. Like that's an option for you. You certainly don't have to take it, but that's an option. That's the Dude, floor that's, right there. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say let's pick above it because, like, pound for pound, if you just, if you just own a blank piece of paper, you're like, hey, hand me fifteen dollars and I'll let you watch Kyler Murray versus Matt Stafford. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that should be, that should be the narrative. I think that stadium just stinks slash is hard to fill. That's probably why it's like always in cheap seats. So for an out of town or like, why not? I I don't mind that take from you. So, okay, we we can rule it out. Uh, Let's let's rule it out. Cheap seats staple. The Carolina Panthers obviously are here. They're always here. They're on the road this week. They're at a team with only a marginally better uh, set of circumstances right now. The Tennessee Titans. That's going to be your cheapest option. $31. We have Sunday night football, $39. Baltimore at the at the Chargers. I almost said Rams. Uh, because it does just say Los Angeles on the page I'm looking at right now. But and the arch does look like a ram horn. It does. You can potentially watch Brandon Staley's last game if you so desire. And yet again, the Chargers are on prime time for the third time in like five weeks. So congrats to them. $39. Also $39. I'm not gonna like tell you how to vote here but jacksonville at houston that's pretty good value right there uh the winner comes out with first place in the afc south 
And finally, this will be the last one I'll give you. $42, Tampa at Indy. Both teams still very much in the hunt here. Uh, and maybe Lucas Oil Stadium's fun. Maybe they got some artisanal breweries in the neighborhood that I don't know about. So those are your options. Four games. Hit me. You cut me off from the sicko ball. Oh, no. <laughs> Cleveland at Denver. Yeah. That's a 60 lot. Six, 60 is a, that's a big step up there if you want that it's one. It's a 60. big step relative to our thing, uh, relative to our pool but it, i mean it that's four th- cardinals games right there that's, that's the whole family coming to the cardinals game with you for that matter yeah <laughs> i will i will rule it out but jackson i did before i get in uh and tell you my pick uh, i did just want to point out you were kind of complaining about uh about the uh barrage of primetime chargers games that we've seen are there more no but I did want to introduce you to the block of uh, 12-7, New England Patriots at Pittsburgh Steelers. 12-18, New England Patriots host the Kansas City Chiefs. 12-24, New England Patriots at Denver Broncos. Three straight weeks, three straight games with an 8-15 time slot. Okay. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there that we are getting much worse primetime games coming up. That's exciting. Uh yeah, my pick is Ravens Chargers. Uh, wow! I, I if it's same if it's same price and I don't have to go to NRG Stadium, uh, Stroud and Stroud and Trevor Lawrence are awesome, and I'd probably see a sneaky fun defensive battle. I'm just more like this is this is morbid curiosity at this point. What do the Ravens look like without Mark Andrews? And I think Ronnie Staley's down. I think they lost another defensive personnel member. Uh, and side note, what is like? What does Brandon Staley's last game look like? Will this be the straw that breaks the camel's back? Uh, there's yeah, so the much treat them anything like they've been treating some of the other, you know, mid-level slash you know talented but flawed teams in the league. They might they might really do some mean things to them. Yeah, there is so much to do, so much to think about in this game that uh, an objectively fun AFC South matchup just isn't quite doing it for me. I gotta hmm. go Baltimore, LA. That's, you know, you're entitled to that take. I don't want to say like, oh, I, I vehemently disagree, but I think that Jags-Texans game has a chance to be game of the week like we talked about with uh, Chargers-Lions a couple weeks ago where it's just the fun back-and-forth battle uh, and, you know, a couple highly drafted quarterbacks, same division, who's going to run the division for years to come. Like there's future narratives in play here. Definitely don't think there's future narratives in play with Chargers. Ra- uh, yeah, Chargers. I mean, there are future narratives in play. There are future, like crumbling implications for for one team, but for not for the team. matchup. Uh, but like, <laughs> this is this is Brandon Staley's last Chargers Ravens game. That I promise you, he's not seeing sh- the Ravens again. There are short crumbling implications for the Ravens of like, oh god, they're shot. They're like, one, yeah, uh, but. There's a sneaky part of me that is like, oh, CJ Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's light it up uh, against a good Jacksonville defense, and then Press Taylor uh, starts sending Calvin Ridley on like twelve yard curl routes uh, against uh, Derek Stingley with Jalen Petre coming over up top, uh, and I don't want to be disappointed. Uh, so I'll take a game where I know I will be disappointed by one team. That's fair. That is how. The Texans got their first win of this entire era 
and that, you know, six and two since. So in a sense, like maybe I side on the other one with this. Like, I think the Jags remember that game. That was, that was the first time we ever had questions about the Jags this year, winning that division. And now they can either completely grab it, take full control of the division, have a two game lead with six to play. Yes. Yeah, I will admit I'm wrong on this. This is okay. just a personal. This is personal. This is just personal. This is this is Kale's sicko game of the the month of November. It appears, uh, and it's all yours. You may have it. I'm excited to uh, recap results with you about this time next week. Yes, sir. And I, we, I feel like you got to do a little something on Monday Night Football next week or something. Like it's it's going to be too good a game not to talk about. Hey, we can we can have a little chat about it at some point during the week this week. That's always an option. Ooh. Maybe. Maybe maybe a little yeah, Wednesday a little Wednesday post meditation. We might. Or just a live. I don't even know. We'll figure it out. Hopefully we can get Nolan in on that as well. Could you could you like long. who knows? Maybe a little like Wednesday like T or like, you know, Thanksgiving preview with Black Friday preview, like who knows? We like talking about things that we don't do. <laughs> On that note, (laughs) the next time you hear from us, I don't know when it'll be, but I'll just keep it in routine. For Kale, I'm Jackson. We will see you next Tuesday. See ya.